Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Penny Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly ball. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson. We've got a terrific show for you today. It's joining me in the second segment, Jake Asman. You may know him from, easy enough, the Jake Asman Show, which you're able to hear nationally Monday through Friday on Sports Map Radio. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We've got a big series that's going to be going down between the San Diego Padres and the Houston Astros. And it is going to be the subject of my New York Post play today on Friday. So we're going to be talking about that. Going to be talking about the New York teams and just what we've seen in general this MLB season. Jake does a great job covering a little bit of everything. So glad to be able to get him on the podcast today. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys a side journal on every game on the betting board for this Friday. As we touch them off, first things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at underscore one Keep in mind the letter ZM. They mean does not matter. So always send these in via the Twitter timeline if you do go that route. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it really does support all that I do. I know that many of you guys have asked what's the best way to be able to help out this podcast. Just download and listen every day like you're probably doing right now if you're hearing this. And then at some point, be able to rate five stars on Apple Podcasts would be terrific. It takes like two minutes. And I know that many of you guys have. It really does make a world of difference. So thank you so much for listening and rating five stars. It really does allow me to be able to do all that I do on a daily basis. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but 
We wound up seeing a lot of seven ending games on Thursday. It was a very wild day. So let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The Cincinnati Reds and Washington Nationals wound up wrapping up a game that ended up starting on Wednesday as it was suspended with the Washington Nationals up by a count of three to zero after four innings. They pick it up. The Cincinnati Reds were able to get a couple runs across, but it was not enough. Five to three, the final for the Reds. They just wound up having to eat through a bunch of bullpen arms. You wind up having Cionel Perez give you a scoreless setting. You got a scoreless setting out of Michael Feliz, five outs out of Ashton Gadu, and then you wind up having two runs given up by Ryan Hendricks. And for the Washington Nationals, they did wind up giving up a few runs of their own as earlier in the game, you wound up having this team being able to get a couple runs across. They wind up going 5-12 men in scoring position overall. Joe Ross, the day before, winds up going four scoreless settings. Austin both pretty much picked it up from there. Two scoreless settings. Kyle Finnegan gives you a scoreless setting. Tanner Rainey, not having a good year. 949 ERA. He gives up three runs without recording a single up. But Daniel Hudson is able to get a hold. Scoreless setting from him. And then Brad Hand able to get the save. And then the seven-inning double header, I guess you could say, Really strange to be saying that. It was a split doubleheader officially. The Reds wind up getting a 3-0 win. I had the over in this one in the New York Post. And, well, it didn't help that both of these hurting pitchers were pretty solid. Sonny Gray, he gives up two hits over the course of six innings. Lucas Sims is able to get the save. And for the Cincinnati Reds, main form of power, Eugenio Suarez in the first inning was able to get his 11th home run the season. That comes off of Steven Strasburg. Strasburg does give up three runs over the course of five innings. Wander, I swear this guy sucks, comes in. He does not give up a run in an inning. And Kyle McGowan was able to give you a a scoreless setting as well. So you wound up seeing a very interesting set there. While you had many seven ending games that wind up going down on Thursday, you wound up having a 10-inning game between the Milwaukee Brewers and the San Diego Padres. Brewers are able to get a 6-5 win for the Padres. They've used their bullpen for more innings than any other team out there in the big leagues, and in this one, it might have cost them. Ryan Weathers, he was rolling in this one. He winds up going four scoreless innings, 78 pitches, and then he gets pulled. You have Nabel Krizmat come in from there, gives up two runs, one of which was earned while recording five outs. Pierce Johnson was able to give you a scoreless third of an inning. Emilio Pagan, a full scoreless inning, but Craig Salmon, he did not do his job in this one. He winds up giving up three runs including a homer going deep for the Milwaukee Brewers. Rare sighting here. You get William Thomas to get his first home run as a Milwaukee Brewer. And then in the 10th inning, it was Miguel Diaz who winds up giving up the unearned run. And for Fernando Tatis Jr., he now has 14 errors this season. I believe that he leads the majors. With that regard, Eric Osmer was able to get a home run off of Trevor Richards, his fifth home run of the season. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, Adrian Hauser probably was pulled a little bit too early himself. Five scoreless innings, and then Trevor Richards winds up serving up that home run to Osmer. Gives up three runs over the course of two innings. Devin Williams, he gets used up for 32 pitches. He's not going to be available to pitch today. He winds up giving up two runs in an inning. Josh Hader was able to give you a scoreless setting, though, on the Red Suter in the 10th was able to give you a scoreless setting for the W. You wound up seeing a doubleheader out there in the city of New York. Actually, you wound up seeing two. Let's go with the Metropolitans and the Colorado Rockies first. Mets wind up taking game one by count of one to zero for Herman Marquez. A little bit of a tough luck loss here. He winds up giving up a solo home run over the course of six innings. Going deep, Jose Peraza, the second home run the season, but Marcus Stroman, he was better. He does wind up having to evade a little bit of danger, but six scoreless innings from him, and then Edwin Diaz was able to get the save for the Colorado Rockies. They wind up going in this one 0 of 2 with men in scoring position. They're just not good on the road in general. They are now 3-20 and 20 on the road after they wind up losing both of these games in the doubleheader, 16-12 and 12 at home. Just a ridiculous home and road split. The Mets in game two, they're able to cover the run line and get the win by kind of 4-2. Antonio Sensatella, 
he didn't necessarily give a lot of length. 67 pitches, he gives up two runs over the course of four innings. From there, you wind up having Mr. Tyler Kinley give you a scoreless inning, and then Jordan Sheffield gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. Yancey Almonte, because he was able to get it out without giving up a run, lowered his ERA to a 12.56. yip de doo and for the New York Metropolitans, not a bad start here from Joey Lucchese. Three and two-thirds innings, he's never going to give you a ton of length, but... Gives up just one run in the process and a Mets bullpen that has been lights out all year long. They continue. Jersic Familia, scoreless inning. Aaron Loop, scoreless inning. Jacob Barnes was able to get the save after Robbie Gazelman gives up a run, but you were also able to get a little bit of help from Mr. Drew Smith as well. So the Mets, they wind up taking that twin bill, and they're now 24-20 and and leading things out there in the NL East, which I find to be very intriguing. The other doubleheader out there in the state of New York saw the Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays split. You wind up seeing one over and one under. The first one was the under, 2-0 to the finalized. Alec Manoa winds up making his MLB debut. He pitched for West Virginia a few years ago. A highly touted prospect, and he delivered in this one. Six scoreless innings, punches out seven. Jordan Romano was able to get the save, and for the Toronto Blue Jays, pair of solo home runs were able to buoy them in this one. Domingo Herman gives up the 10th home run in the season to Bo Bichette, and the 13th to Marcus Simeon. As for the Yankees, Herman wasn't terrible in this one. He gives up the two solo home runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings. Lucas Lutige comes out of the bullpen. He gives you four odds, but for the Yankees, two total hits in this one. They would reverse that in game two. Five to three, they're able to take down the Toronto Blue Jays as Bo Bichette winds up going deep. Again, this one off of Jordan Montgomery, his 11th of the season. He had all three RBI for the team in the game and for Robbie Ray. His home run issues wind up rearing their ugly head. He winds up going four and two-thirds innings, giving up five runs, four of which were earned, including a pair of bombs. Gary Sanchez, his sixth home run of the season, and Aaron Judge's 13th as Montgomery. He didn't necessarily have the world's greatest start himself. Goes four and two-thirds innings, giving up three runs, but the Yankees' bullpen, which we're going to be talking about with our good buddy Jake Asman on the other side, was terrific once again. Chad Green, Jonathan Weisinger both give you a scoreless inning for the Weisinger. One inning pitch, he gives up three hits, but he was able to evade danger. Wandy Peralta gives you an out out of the bullpen as well and for the Toronto Blue Jays. You did get A.J. Cole to be able to give you four outs out of the bullpen as well, so he was able to do a relatively solid job, but for the Toronto Blue Jays, just not a lot of opportunities and the ones that they wound up getting, they squandered. The Baltimore Orioles just squandered an opportunity in general by trotting out their left-hander for the Chicago White Sox. They have now won 25 out of their last 27 games against left-handed pitching. 5-1 to one the final. For Bruce Zimmerman, he doesn't necessarily do a terrible job. He gives up one solo run over the course of five innings. That by Yerman Mercedes on a 3-0 count. And then from there, Tony LaRusso wound up sending him to T-ball. But with that said for Mercedes, his seventh home run of the season, Dylan Cease, he was terrific in this one. Ten strikeouts over the course of six innings. Did wind up giving up a solo run, the lone run that the Orioles were able to get Freddie Galvis his seventh home run the season. And for the Orioles, nothing doing for them in this one. Over 12 men in scoring position. Dylan Tate gives up a run in two-thirds of an inning out of the bullpen. Tanner Scott, he winds up being able to give you an out. Cole Solzer was able to give you a pair of outs along with Brandon Woodell, who was able to give you a scoreless inning, but Cesar Valdez, you figured there'd be a regression with him. He gives up three runs in a third of an inning, and for the White Sox, the bullpen, which was a little bit maligned towards the beginning of the year, Matt Foster, Evan Marshall especially, wound up getting off to rough starts. They both give you a scoreless inning along with Aaron Bummer. That was not a bummer for the Chicago White Sox. Speaking of not a bummer, if you wound up taking the Oakland A's on Thursday, as they wind up taking down the LA Angels by a count of 5-0. A surprising good start here from Patrick Sandoval. He does have to evade some danger, but he winds up going five scoreless innings. He now joins Shoyo Tani as the only Angels that have seen a start this year with a sub-475 ERA, but then Aaron Sleggers comes out of the bullpen and he Sleggers this game away. Gives up four runs while recording just one out. Alex Claudio gives up a run. He did not get a single out. Junior Guerra 
Give them credit. Two and two-thirds inning scoreless out of the bullpen, but for the Angels, nothing doing on offense either. The Oakland A's hold them to two hits. How about Chris Bassett? Took a hook, line, and sinker. Complete game. Gives up two hits. For the Oakland A's, they go four of seven with men in scoring position, so the A's continue their dominance, and for the LA Angels, it just continues to be a house of horse with them trying to play without Mike Trout. A house of horse for this team as well is... Just any time you wind up having the Pittsburgh Pirates anywhere, they wind up losing to the Chicago Cubs by a count of 5-3 in one of the worst plays that you're ever going to see on defense. The Pittsburgh Pirates, with two outs, I believe it was in the third inning, have a ball into first. All the first baseman needs to do is touch a base. Instead, he tries to get Javi Baez in a rundown between home and first. They wind up throwing the ball home because there was a man on, I think, either second or third. He comes home, he's safe. Javi Baez then runs the first. The guy that was having the ball, I think it was a catcher, tries to throw it to first. It winds up getting away. So Javi Baez, on a play in which he was dead in the water, winds up making it to second base, even though it was a force out at first, and the ball was hit to first base, and that's how the Pittsburgh Pirates wind up losing this game. Absolutely hilarious, as there was a pair of errors on that play, and there should have really been 500 in every Every single player in that Pittsburgh Pirates infield should be sent down to 11, 12-year-old baseball. But with that said, Kyle Hendricks, he showed that he still is giving up a lot of hard contact. Seven innings pitch. He gives up three runs, all of which were solo home runs for a Pittsburgh Pirates team that entered into this game dead last in the big leagues with regards to home runs per game. You wind up getting Gregory Polanco along with Brian Reynolds, both their fifth home run this season. And then Michael Perez, who has been terrible for this team, his third home run this season. But the Cubs of Wolpen has been far from terrible. Ryan Tapera was able to get a 4 out save Dan Winkler gives you a pair of outs as well and for the Chicago Cubs pair of home runs of their own Patrick Wisdom that's a name we haven't heard in quite a while. He goes deep off of Tyler Anderson, the starter, his first of the season, and then Anderson serves one up to Chris Bryant, his 11th of the season. As for Anderson, he gives up four runs, only two of which were earned. He really probably shouldn't have been on the hook for as much as he was over the course of five innings. And then the Pirates, if you're looking for one good thing with this team, it is the bullpen. Richard Rodriguez now raises his ERA to a 0.86 because he gives up a run in an inning, but Kyle Crick, David Bernard, Sam Howard all give you scoreless innings, but that was just a comedy of issues. The Philadelphia Phillies have had a comedy of issues on the road, but they were able to get the job done against the Miami Marlins on Thursday by a count of 3-2 to two to be able to improve their road record to, I kid you not here, 10-16 and 16 as they're 15-10 and 10 at home for the Philadelphia Phillies. They were able to get one home run in this one. Reese Hoskins, who entered into the series very cold, he winds up getting his 11th home run of the season. Spencer Howard, he was limited in this one, but he was effective in the dose that he gave. Four innings pitch, he gives up a run. Jose Alvarado gives up a run on the bullpen, and Ranger Suarez is a long run lever. Three scoreless innings. He's actually been doing a solid job for the Phillies so far this year. And Hector Neris able to get his ninth save of the season. Always a roll of the dice with the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen. And for the Miami Marlins, Pablo Lopez winds up giving up that home run to Hoskins, but he was solid. Gives up two runs over the course of seven innings. Dylan Floro, Yimi Garcia, they wind up giving you an inning apiece. Floro, he gives a scoreless eighth inning, but Yimi Garcia gives up a run in the ninth inning. For the Miami Marlins, you had Miguel Rojas wind up getting picked off in this game. The team goes one of six with Ben in scoring position. Offense just as that been good with this team in general, and they don't get the job done. The Cleveland Indians, they do get the job done. 5-2, the final for Shane Bieber. He had a fever for striking guys out. 7 innings pitch, he gives up one run. That was a solo home run, but punches out 12 going deep for the Detroit Tigres in this one. Jonathan Scope, who's having a bad year, is fourth of the season, and for Matthew Boyd. Looks like regression is starting to set in from after he wound up having a good start to the year. He winds up going 5 innings, giving up 4 runs, all of which were earned, including a home run. Bullpen from there, which has been the worst in the big leagues with regards to ERA for the Detroit Tigers. Not necessarily terrible. Brian Garcia. 
Joey Menez, Daniel Norris. I'll give you a score saying Derek Collin gives up a run in an inning to lower his ERA to an 11.45. He's been terrible. And for the Indians, you had Eddie Rosario being able to get a home run in this one. His fourth of the season. He had a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the year. Now he's starting to round into form. Speaking of rounding into form, that's what we're seeing with the Tampa Bay race. This is a team that I believe that they have now won 10 out of their last 11. They take down the Kansas City Royals by a count of 7-2 to two for the Royals. You had Ryan O'Hearn get his third home run of the season that comes off of Michael Waka, or as I'd like to use the dying Pac-Man voice from Waka 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 Waka. That's what you can also say for Brady Singer. He winds up being able to get eight outs in this game, and he gives up six runs, all of which were earned, including home run. Going deep for the Tampa Bay Rays, Mr. Austin Meadows, his 10th home run of the season. For Meadows, he also got a triple, so he was coming dangerously close to the cycle for the Royals. Jacob Junis from there comes in for long relief, goes two and a third innings, giving up a run. Wade Davis, two scores settings. Someone called the papers. That doesn't happen very often and Irvin Santana gave you an inning, but for the Royals, bullpen certainly has had some issues. They weren't necessarily too bad in this one, but the offense just wasn't able to get anything going against Shane McClanahan. Five scoreless innings from him. Michael Walker winds up giving up that home run. Goes three innings, gives up two runs. Call McHugh from there is able to give you a scoreless inning. So the Rays are really streaking right now. A team that is doing a relatively solid job as well, that would be the LA Dodgers. They have now won 13 out of their last 15. 4-3 to three the final. They take down the San Francisco Giants. David Price gets his first start since 2019. Wasn't necessarily a long one. Two and two-thirds innings. He was an opener in this one. Punches out five. Doesn't give up anything. Alex Vasilla gives you a scoreless inning from there. You also wind up getting scoreless innings out of Kenley Jansen, who now is his 12th save of the season and a buck 25 ERA. Don't look now, but he's actually been able to put together a nice season. Blake trying. He was able to give you a scoreless inning as well. You get a pair of outs out of the bullpen from Nate Jones. Now, you did wind up having Victor Gonzalez, who entered into this game with a sub-2 ERA, giving up two runs at an inning, and Joe Kelly... He's not looking like himself right now. Gets five outs. He winds up giving up a solo home run in the process. So there was that. And for the Giants, you got a pair of home runs in this one. Gonzalez winds up serving one up to Donovan Solano his first of the season. And Evan Longoria gets his seventh off of Joe Kelly. But for Alex Wood, who had given up two runs or fewer in every one of his starts so far this year, the former Dodger, he gets lit up in this one. Gives up a trio of home runs. Four runs in total over the course of six innings. Zach Liddell along Jarlon Garcia are able to give you a scoreless inning. But for the Dodgers... Justin Turner down for what? His ninth home run of the season. Max Muncy, who is all of a sudden on fire. His 11th home run of the season. And then you get the first home run of the season from DJ Peters, who is now hitting at the Mendoza line of 200. So there is that for him. The Seattle Mariners, they shut down the Texas Rangers 5-0 the final for the Rangers. They just wind up not being able to do anything with men in scoring position. 0-4 with that regard. Kobe Allard, he gets his first start in quite a while. Gives up two solo home runs over the course of four innings. Going deep for the Seattle Mariners. Tom Murphy, his fifth of the season. And Jacob of Nottingham was able to get his first home run of the season. Now, I believe that this is actually officially his second because he wound up hitting one with the Milwaukee Brewers. He has went from the Mariners to the Brewers in the same way that people pass around a basket of bread six. So, that's been interesting. Brett Martin out of the bullpen for the Texas Rangers was able to give you five outs of scoreless action and Taylor Hearn. He comes out for two and a third innings, gives up three runs off, which were in that was not necessarily terrific, but what was terrific, Chris Flexen. Seven scoreless innings. He is now 5-2. and two. Probably doesn't deserve that record if you take a look at his peripherals, but he's getting the job done. Rafael Montero was able to give you a scoreless inning, and then Keenan Middleton was able to do the same for you. And this is a game that is just going final as I'm doing this podcast. The St. Louis Cardinals take down the Arizona Diamondbacks in 10 innings by a count of 5-4. to four. Matt Peacock was supposed to get the start for the Arizona Diamondbacks in this one. Instead, it was John Duplantier, and boy, did he get planted in this one. He gives up four runs over the course of 
for four and two-thirds innings, including a home run. Going deep for the St. Louis Cardinals in this one. You had Tyler O'Neill, who wound up missing quite a bit of time. He gets his ninth of the season for Carlos Martinez. He winds up taking a no-hitter into the sixth inning, and then he winds up giving up three runs in the sixth inning. That was not necessarily too terrific. Genesis Cabrera, he was unable to do anything out of the bullpen, but Ryan Hazley gives you a scoreless inning. Alex Reyes is able to give you a scoreless ninth, and then Daniel Ponce de Leon was able to close things out in the tenth. Giovanni Gallegos does give up a run out of the bullpen, but for the Arizona and the Diamondbacks, after DePlantier winds up coming out for a Diamondbacks bullpen that is dead last in the big leagues with regards to ERA over the last three days, actually relatively solid. Caleb Smith, he winds up being able to get seven outs, all of which without giving up a run. He gets five punch outs in the process. Taylor Clark has scoreless inning. Joaquin Soria has scoreless inning. And then Stefan Kitran winds up giving up the unearned run that winds up starting on second base in extra innings. So we wound up seeing some very interesting results, to say the least, in Major League Baseball on Thursday. And when you take a look at what we've all seen in Major League Baseball over the last seven days, overs and unders, 44 and 44. So they are dead split. Favorites are really having a nice run of it. 56 and 35 over the last seven days. If you take a look at the last three days, 60.2% clip, 237 and 157. Underdogs had a very good run to begin the year. Things are starting to dry up. And if you're looking for the season in general, favorites are now waiting at a 56.3% clip, 413 and 321. Home and road teams are not necessarily having a big edge here, but home teams, 389 and 350. I think that with more fans in the stands, this might wind up reversing itself a little bit. If you've been taking the plus run and half on the run line with underdogs, you are finding them to be relatively solid. Underdogs in general, 435 and 304. Road underdogs, 278 and 185. That's a 60% clip. And overs, 357 of them so far this year, 356 unders. So relatively dead even there. And a man that always does a terrific job of being able to bring great insights on this podcast. That would be our man over there with Sports Map Radio, Jake Asman, coming up next. We are going to be talking to him about the big Houston Astros versus San Diego Padres series. We're going to be asking about the New York team. And we've all noticed in baseball in general so far this season. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Bunny Podcast with myself, Craig Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here at Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is always great to be joined by this guest as he does a terrific job hosting a show nationally over there with Sports Map Radio. It would be Jake Asman. He hosts a show that is easy enough, the Jake Asman Show. You're able to hear that every weekday from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern if you're on the West Coast. That is from 6 to 8 a.m. Pacific time. And he also does some work on Saturdays. That is from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. If you're looking Pacific time, that is from noon to 3. As Jake is able to be found very easily on Twitter. At Jake Asman. Last name is spelled A-S-M-A-N. And if you're looking for the Twitter handle for the show. At Jake Asman Show. All together makes it all very clean. And Jake, always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, Greg. Thanks for obviously having me back on the show, and I hope all is well. All is very well. And things are actually going quite well for the Houston Astros as well. Offense wound up going into a little bit of a rut the last couple of games, but you can't complain when 15 out of 17 games, the team winds up scoring four plus runs. But now they're going to be starting up a series against the San Diego Padres, a team with the best ERA in the major leagues. And I think the pitching matchup for Friday is going to be very fascinating. Fran Valdez, who wound up making two relief appearances for the Sugarland Skeeters, he is going to be coming in for the Houston Astros. Meanwhile, Denelson Lamette, who has really been used as 
sort of a long reliever slash an opener for the Padres, is going to be getting run here. He's made five total appearances for the Padres. Is what I combined 11 innings, so he's won two or three innings in pretty much every appearance. I think that this is going to be a very fascinating game because with Valdez, he was really the workhorse for the Astros last season, but as only pitched a combined seven innings at the minor leagues, it's a little bit questionable as to whether or not he's being rushed back because of the injuries that the Houston Astros are facing, especially with Jose Urikiti. Meanwhile, for Lamette, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him in general as well. Totally agree. And with Fromber, he's such an important piece to this Astros team. You know, you look at their rotation. There's a lot of question marks. They're relying on an older Zach Cranky to kind of still be their ace. But Fromber Valdez, a year ago, had a really good season for this team and was a big part of their run to Game 7 of the ALCS. So this is a guy they're counting on to be an impact pitcher. Jake Odorizzi is also working himself back from injury, and they're relying on him to be an important piece. They just placed Lance McCullers on the injured list. So there's a lot of emphasis on Valdez to come back into this rotation and really stabilize things for the Astros. They don't have a great bullpen offensively. They could still score, as you were talking about, Greg, but basically any team in the league. But the key for the Astros is going to be, you know, of course, their rotation. You start to think down the line here as they duke it out with Oakland for first place in the division. You know, a move or two at, at the deadline to try and improve that bullpen is probably the number one thing the Astros are going to need to make. But you look right now at where they are, you know, it's going to be an interesting litmus test. Padres come in, arguably one of the best teams in the game. You know, the Astros has dealt with a two-game series with the Dodgers, and, you know, they split. You look ahead to Friday here, and you have a matchup between two really good teams going at it, so it should be fun. Yeah, it should be fun. And the Astros doing a great job in general being able to make their at-bats count. I was speaking a little bit earlier about the offense of this team. You've got a team that ever since the beginning of the 2020 season, fewest strikeouts per at-bat of any team in baseball. And Yoli Gurriel, Michael Brantley, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez, all hitting above 300 right now. So have been very impressed by them. And when you take a look at the hierarchy out there in the AL West, Currently, you've got the Oakland A's with a slight lead over the Houston Astros, but I really do think that it's the Astros' division to lose, and then everyone else is just sort of left out there to be competing for third place. The Seattle Mariners are currently in that spot, but I think we both agree this is a Mariners team that they're not necessarily too terrific. I felt like they were playing above their heads a little bit with the Angels, not having Mike Trout for six, eight weeks. Well, that is one of the biggest losses in baseball. And then the Texas Rangers, well, congratulations. I do recognize that they did wind up sweeping the Houston Astros about a week ago, but they are still the Texas Rangers. They still have absolutely awful pitching. So I do think that it's going to come down to A's versus Astros once again for the division. I do give the Astros the upper hand. Yeah, I think it's clearly those two teams, and it could come down to a move that the Astros make near the deadline to try and improve this team. That could be the difference. I don't count out the A's. You know, we've seen this time and time again. They'll be there all year. I think talent-wise, Houston still has more. But I think that's a race that comes down to the last month of the year. I think they're going to be kind of neck and neck throughout the season. I agree with you, as we do have Jake Asman of Sportsmap Radio joining me on the podcast. And then I know that you're someone that you cover the New York Yankees very closely. And after a rough start to begin the year, things have been able to stabilize for them. Did not wind up necessarily having the world's greatest series against the Toronto, a.k.a. Dunedin, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays. But with that said, they've been able to get themselves back in the <laughs> AL East race as you've really got a three-team race at this point between the Rays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees with the Toronto Blue Jays trying to get themselves back into it. They were able to do some nice work over the last couple of days out there in the state of New York. But 
I really take a look at these Yankees team, and I think the big thing for them is the bottom of the lineup because the guys at the top are doing a great job. When G- DJ LeMayu, Aaron Judge, these guys are all in the lineup, they're doing a solid job, but I'm taking a look at guys like Clint Frazier, Miguel Andujar, Rune Odora, Kyle Gashioka, Gary Sanchez, sort of that split catcher spot. Luke Voigt has just been injured all year long. If these guys are able to step up and give the Yankees just a little bit of something, I think that this is a Yankees team that they still have a chance to be able to win this division because the bullpen has really impressed me. The starting pitching has been a little bit up and down with guys like Jameson Tyon and company, but the bullpen is going to be able to stabilize them. I just think that they need to get a little bit more production from the guys towards the bottom of the lineup. No question. The Yankees are only eight games above 500 as we're talking here, Greg, because their pitching has carried them. Their bullpen is arguably the best in the sport. And, you know, the rotation got out to a slow start outside of Garrett Cole. But their last turn through the rotation, you know, you had four guys in a row, pitched seven shutout innings or more. Obviously, Kluber had the no-hitter. So it's a big loss losing him now for maybe two months with the injury he suffered the other night. But you look at Cole, you know what you have there. You have one of the best pitchers in the game. And they've been getting a lot of really good solid starts for some of the other guys in the rotation. Domingo Herman has pitched well. Jordan Montgomery has pitched well. Even Tyone, he's been up and down this year, but he did throw five shutout innings his last start. The issue for the Yankees has been the lineup. It's been a problem really all season. You know, you have some of the key guys that are hitting like Aaron Judge and, you know, Glaber Torres was on a real hot streak, but they're dealing with the injury bug right now. Luke Voigt is on the injured list now. That's a big loss at first base. You know, they're still dealing with DJ LeMahieu not hitting like we're accustomed to seeing him hit. I mean, his average is down to 257 right now. He just has not been the same player yet. I think he will come around. But what concerns you about the Yankees is the bottom of the lineup. And you nailed it. You know, they got to get more from Clint Frazier. He's hitting 179. It's unacceptable. They gave him the starting left field job, and he's been bad. Miguel Andujar had to be put into the lineup because Aaron Hicks got hurt and is now out for the year. They're relying Andujar to, you know, return to form to what he was in 2018 when he nearly won the Rookie of the Year award. So they have a lot of issues on the bottom half of their lineup, and the injuries are starting them out. They should be getting John Carlos Stanton back, and that should be huge for this team. But, man, it's crazy to talk about the Yankees and, and feel good about their pitching, and it's the lineup that's struggling. And, you know, that has to change. You know, they're, they're, they'll be okay because their team, you know, is so loaded bullpen-wise, and they do have enough bats at the top of the lineup to keep them in games. But if they're going to win this division, it's going to come down to how much they can hit like the Yankees team they thought they were putting on the field in 2021. And it's ironic because we take a look at the New York Mets, another team that's above 500, and we could say the same things about them. The pitching has been very good for this team, despite the fact that they still have Noah Syndergaard and Carlos Carrasco currently on the injured list. You just take a look at the injuries, though. Pete Alonso currently on the injured list. J.D. Davis is currently on the injured list. So if there is someone on the New York Metropolitans that it seems like is getting a little bit closer to come back, it is J.D. Davis, and he actually had a very nice start to the year, but he's currently on the injured list for this team. I believe that Joshan Way Fargus is now on the 10-day injured list, and he was like the number 15 outfielder for this team because Michael Conforto got hurt, Jeff McNeil got hurt, Kevin Pillar got hurt, Alberto Mora Jr. got hurt, Luis Galorme got hurt. Brandon Nimmo got hurt. I mean, the list goes on and on. And yet somehow, someway, this is a team that's in first place in the NL East. They wound up getting at just the right time a home series against a Colorado Rockies team that I believe is now 3-20 and in road games. So you've got that going on. 
And this is just one of the strangest things I've ever seen in my life. The New York Mets sitting here at 24 and 20 with guys that I don't know if Khalil Lee has heard of himself. And yet somehow, some way, they're still getting some wins up on the board. It's incredible. I mean, seven of their nine opening day starters are on the injured list right now. And they found a way to you know beat up on a bad Rockies team. You know, sweep a double header. So they're kind of hanging on right now. The pitching is very good. Their bullpen has pitched well at times this year. But you look at their lineup right now, even the guys that are healthy aren't hitting. James McCann, 197. He was their big catcher for agent signing. And then obviously they make this huge trade for Frankie Lindor, pay him a 10 year, $341 million contract before the season starts. And his average is 185 right now. He's still not hitting. So, you know, out of the guys that are still left in the lineup that they're counting on, they're not even producing, yet they keep finding ways to kind of grind out wins, stay in the mix here. And that's what they're going to have to do, stay afloat until they get some of their guys back. But you look at the Mets, you know, as we sit here and chat, Greg, they're a first place team, despite the fact they have all these injuries. So they just got to kind of stay afloat until they get some of these guys back. I agree with you. And if you take a look at the Mets and their 4-2 to two win in game two of that doubleheader against the Colorado Rockies, one guy who wound up getting it at bat, has a batting average above a 231, and that would be Dom Smith at a 241. So I, that tells you right there exactly what's going on. And just the NL East in general is very strange because you've got a banged up Philadelphia Phillies team that they've performed very well at home. At home so far this year, 15 and 10 as we're recording this podcast on the road, 10 and 16. The Miami Marlins refuse to go away. They've actually gotten some very good pitching. If they're just able to get a little bit of hitting, they'll be able to turn things around. The Washington Nationals, our team that's only three and a half games out, despite the fact that they wound up having a COVID pause and they wound up having their struggles. And then the Atlanta Braves, a team that we expected a little bit more from. I don't think they've been above 500 all year long, but they seem to be routing in form as well. I take a look at this NL East. And it certainly is not the best division in baseball, but I think what it's all said and done, it might wind up being the most intriguing given all the storylines that at some point, the New York Mets are going to get some of these guys back in the lineup. You would think so. It's a division that you look at and you really don't know if anyone is capable of running away with it. I mean, the Phillies have issues, the Braves have issues, Marlins have issues, Nationals have issues. Who's the best team in the NL East? I mean, you can honestly argue for any of these teams, I guess. But I don't know. I'm not making a claim on who I think is winning that division right now. There's just too much unknown. If the Mets can get healthy, I think they got a real chance. But they're dealing with so many injuries right now. You just don't know you know, when some of these guys are going to start to come back. In total agreement with you there. This NL East is sort of like the NFC lease that we've seen in football <laughs> in the past. So, I mean, it certainly has been ugly as we do have Jake Asman joining me on the podcast. And Jake, We've got some great baseball that's going to be coming up this weekend. We've got a bunch of good series. Braves versus Mets is certainly one that is going to be catching by. I I was talking a little bit earlier about that Padres versus Astros series. I'm very curious to see how that one winds up going down. I do think that we're going to get some very good baseball out there in the West Coast as well with the San Francisco Giants and the L.A. Dodgers doing battle. Is there a game or two that you're looking forward to this weekend that you think is really going to be catching your eye and might have some big implications moving forward? Obviously, it's late May slash early June, but I do think that we are starting to get to know these teams a little bit better, and I do think that we do have some very exciting series that are going to be going down this weekend. No doubt. I mean, you talked about uh, one of them right here in town where I'm living with the Astros and Padres. That's a huge series. And then you know, how about the Giants and Dodgers playing this weekend? I mean, obviously there's a big rivalry there, but did anyone expect the Giants to be 30 and 19 so far this season? I mean, that's a matchup there against the Dodgers where you have two of the best teams record wise in the game. Obviously, it's looking like for now, anyway, it's a three team race in the National League West. So that's kind of another litmus test for us to see 
what the Giants are. If you remember, the Dodgers swept them last weekend. They meet again this weekend in L.A. You know, let's kind of see, you know, what the Giants are made of going up against the Dodgers here. I agree with you. I think that that battle out there in the state of California is going to be absolutely tremendous with the Giants. The pitching has been superb for this team. Lineup has been a little bit down, but I would argue that Buster Posey has been the best addition of anyone this offseason, just being able to get him back. We've seen the wonders that it's done for the Giants pitching, and he's hitting like 350 right now. It's been absolutely tremendous, almost as tremendous as the work that you do, Jake. You do a terrific job Monday through Friday on the Jake Asman Show, which people can hear mornings out here on the West Coast. More towards the just before lunch hour out there on the East Coast. And then I know that you do some work on the weekends as well. I know that you do a great job of just taking a look at the sports scene out there in the great city of Houston as well. And so much more. So let the good people at home know how they're able to follow you on social media and just what you've all got going on in general. Sure, man. As you said, you can find the radio show, SportsMapRadio.com. And then, of course, you could uh, find me on Twitter at Jake Asman. Everything's there. Jake does an absolutely terrific job just taking a look at a wide variety of things. Everything from the NFL, MLB, college basketball, when we get to March Madness, list goes on and on. And it's always great to get him on the podcast. So big thanks to Jake Asman for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this wonderful Friday as we touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to have Jake Asman aboard. Does a great job over there with Sports Map Radio. It's the Jake Asman Show, which you're able to hear Monday through Friday. Always brings in whatever he's on this podcast. So big thanks to him. Now it is that time the podcast to give you a signed total on every game on the betting board for this Friday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenSquarty1. As per usual, going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we wind up going with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then interleague games are going to be at the bottom, so that's the way that winds up flowing. And as per usual, these leagues are also broken down in time order as well, so... We are going to be going with the earliest game out there in the National League, and then we are going to be going from there. This begins with 9-1-9-2 on the betting board. The Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they're on the road to face off against the Chicago Cubs. Abbear Alzale is going to be going for the Cubs. Meanwhile, you've got for the Cincinnati Reds, Vladimir Gutierrez. This is a Cubs line in which they are laying anywhere between minus 140 and minus 150. As we're seeing it right now, the Reds are anywhere between plus 121 and plus 137. You're right now only seeing a total on this game at Circa because most books wait until the AM for totals in Wrigley Field because it is very wind dependent and is currently a 6. Over and under both at minus 110 and the reason why I'm seeing like 20 mile per hour winds blowing inward so that is why you got such a low total here but I think we've run a little bit too low. I'd be feeling a little bit more comfortable with about a 7-ish so I'm going to be taking a look at the over in this spot. When you take a look at Mr. Gutierrez, he's someone that did an okay job at the minor league level but he doesn't necessarily blow me away. Average amount of strikeouts. Not a guy that necessarily walks a ton of guys, but doesn't necessarily have great command. 
He does an okay job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Doesn't do a great job. Meanwhile, you take a look at Azale. He's a gentleman with a 2-4 record, but at the same time, he's been pretty solid. A 4.30 ERA. He's got 45 strikeouts and 44 innings. Long ball has been his issue. He has given up 9 home runs so far this year, but the good news is, with the wind blowing in, that should be able to help him out, as he's actually been worse at home than he has been on the road, giving up 5 home runs in 19 and 2 thirds innings. He's just had some bad wind in general whenever he's been in Wrigley Field. And you take a look at the Cubs lineup. They've been able to do a very good job with their offense. They wind up having one of the wackiest plays you'll ever see against the Pittsburgh Pirates to be able to propel them the victory. But you take a look at what you're getting out of Chris Bryant. It's been relatively solid. Hitting above a 300, double-digit mile home runs. They've kicked the tires on Patrick Wisdom. Out there in the outfield, he's given them a little bit of something, but Jock Peterson should be back in the fold for this team. Nick Martini is another guy that they're looking for some production with. Probably not going to be able to get much air, but Wilson Contreras has right around a 350 on base. Anthony Rizzo is a little bit banged up for the team, so that's been a little bit tough, but you've been able to take a look at so many of these guys, like an Eric Sogard, a Matt Duffy, to be able to give you some good at-bats as well. Nico Horner hitting above a 3 air, and then for the Cincinnati Reds, just a vastly different team home to road. At home, this is a team that is in the top five and pretty much every offensive category and then they hit the road and they're just not the same. You've got Jesse Winker doing a terrific job for the team. He and Nick Cassianos both hitting above a 330, both with on-base percentages are hovering right around a 400. The catcher spot in general has been good for the team. You've been able to get quite a bit out of guys like Tucker Barnard along Tyler Stevenson. Both of these guys hitting above a 260, but then you've got Chogo Akiyamo's not necessarily been able to do much. Kyle Farmer, you're looking for something out of Max Schrock, who's hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. Eugenio Suarez goes deep in the final game against the Washington Nationals yesterday, but he still has a 235 on me, so it's not necessarily been too terrific. And with the Reds, the bullpen has not necessarily been too terrific either. They had to use a bunch of bullpen arms in that game against the Washington Nationals, which was suspended then wound up finishing up on Thursday, so you're not going to have guys like Hendricks, along with Michael Felice, I believe that they wound up using up Ashton Goudou as well, and then Amir Garrett, north of a 70 yard, not necessarily terrific end. For the Cubs, the bullpen has actually been very good. Dylan Maples has been tremendous for the team. Craig Kimbrell is continuing to be able to close out games. Got another save yesterday. Andrew Chafin has been able to give you some good innings, so I do think that the Cubs should be a sizable favorite in this spot. I set them more around a minus 165, so I'm going to be taking that. If we wind up getting across the board a total of 6, I'm certainly going to be taking this total over. I set it a little bit north of 7, so looking at the Cubs and the over in this spot. 903-904 on the betting board. You've got 55 shades of John Gray and the Colorado Rockies hitting the road to face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mitch Thunderkeller is going to be going for the Buccos, and if you're taking a look at the Pirates, you're going to be finding them as bad as, I guess you could say, a minus 105, as good as a plus 104. If you're looking at the Rockies, you're finding them as bad as a minus 118, as good as minus 105. Totals anywhere between 7.5 and 8. If you're looking at the 8, unders use minus 125, the overs plus 105 on the 7.5. Unders anywhere between minus 125 and minus 105. Meanwhile, the over, that is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 115, so you're seeing a wide range of numbers here, but I did wind up making the Rockies more on a minus 134 favorite. This is a fade of Mitch Keller, and we saw the defense of the Pirates on full display yesterday, so we know what we're getting there with Keller. 37 and two-thirds innings, 21 walks. That's above five walks per nine innings. 741 ERA. He's given up the deep ball as well. Now, I do recognize that the Colorado Rockies hitting as a collective about a 205 on the road. It's been absolutely terrible, but for Keller, he's got a 1-4 record and five home starts. 995 ERA, and he has walked 14 guys in 19 innings, and opponents are hitting 357 off of him. That is absolutely terrible. Meanwhile, you take a look at John Gray. He's actually been a little bit better throughout his career at Coors Field than he has been on the road, but he's got a 343 ERA. 
He has really been lit up on the road. 632 ERA so far this year. Opponents hitting 353 off of him. But with the Pirates, this team ranks dead last in pretty much every offensive category. You do have Adam Frazier getting on base for you. He's hitting well above a 300 for this bunch. of Brian Reynolds, 386 on base, 292 batting average. Every single other player that got in that bat for the Pittsburgh Pirates yesterday hitting at 233 or worse. And if you take Will Craig out of the fold, well, pretty much everyone else is hitting below a 215. I apologize to Wilmer Defoe. He wound up getting a pinch hitting spot. He's hitting a 243, but man, it's not necessarily been good now. I do take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. They have been able to get some good bullpen pitching. Richard Rodriguez is in solid. Kyle Crick has been dealing with some injuries, but looks like he's back. He wound up pitching yesterday, so these guys have been relatively rock solid for the team. But then you take a look at the Colorado Rockies. Bullpen, not necessarily terrific, but it should be bolstered by the fact that they're facing off against this bad Pittsburgh Pirates lineup. And then when you take a look at the Rockies in general, you do need these guys to be able to hit a little bit better on the road because you've got a guy in Ryan McMahon that has 13 home runs so far this year, but I believe that nine of those have come at home. He's hitting for the campaign right around at 260. Remy Altapia is in that neighborhood as well. Trevor Sorry hitting at 255. Garrett Hampson at the top. He's not necessarily been able to do a lot for you. Brendan Rogers along with Jonathan Daza have both been able to get on base for you, but this has certainly been a little bit of an up and down game, but with the Rockies, the good news is you don't need to make contact when you just wind up getting walked. So I do think that it's just going to be a case in which Mitch Keller is going to knock himself out of this game very early. It's going to allow the Colorado Rockies to be able to get a couple cheap runs and be able to get this W. So we're going to be laying it with the Colorado Rockies. Set this total at 8.2, so going to be taking this total over as well. We move on to 905-906 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals are going to be playing us the Milwaukee Brewers. Brett Anderson is going to be going for the Brew Crew. John Lester is on the bump for the Nationals. Total on this game is 9.5. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the over, it's anywhere between plus 105 and minus 105. Seeing the 9 out there at circuit, that over has minus 120 juice. The under is even if you're looking at the Nationals. Finding them anywhere between minus 112 and minus 125. Meanwhile, on the Brew Crew, finding them as bad as a minus 105, finding them as good as a plus 106. And with the Brewers, just hard to have a lot of faith in this team. I do recognize that John Lester can be a little bit polarizing when it comes to starting pitchers, but he hasn't been terrible so far this year. Certainly someone that has seen better days, but I do think that he's going to be able to give a pretty good performance against the Milwaukee Brewers lineup that they were able to explode a little bit yesterday, but by and large, this is a bunch that they have not been able to get a whole heck of a lot going. Lorenzo Cain, Willie Adamas, Travis Shaw, Manny Pina, Casanera, Luis Urias, Jackie Bradley Jr., Daniel Robertson. All these guys are hitting a 220 or lower throw on their Daniel Vogel back. Now, Colton Wong has been able to give you right around a 275. Christian Yelich, he's not necessarily had the best go of it ever since coming off the injured list. Just one home run so far this year. 386 on base, but hitting right around 250. And Omir Nervais, nearly a 400 on base. That should be able to help out the team. But keep in mind with the Milwaukee Brewers, you had to throw out there both Devin Williams and Josh Hader yesterday for Williams. North of 30 pitches, so he's not going to be available in this game. Meanwhile, for the Washington Nationals, they did wind up having to use up a couple bullpen pieces in their game that they wound up playing yesterday as they wound up having to finish up a suspended game against the Reds and then play a fresh seven-ending game, but Steven Strasburg was able to help save the bullpen a little bit in game two. And when you take a look at the Nationals, when it comes to road batting average, they are a team that they do a very good job, and they've actually been a little bit worse at home, but I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of something out of guys like Starlin Castro, Jan Gomes, pair of guys in between a 250 and 260. Trey Turner down for what? Has been with nearly a 320 with a double-digit amount of homers. Juan Soto is someone I think is going to see a little bit of an increase with his power. Only four home runs so far this year, but a 400 on base Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, not necessarily the greatest when it comes to batting 
average, but both of these guys are giving you a little bit of something. And then for the Nationals, bullpen is going to be able to back up John Lester quite well. Brad and Danny Hudson, Kyle Finnegan, these guys are right now doing the job for you. And then when you take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of Anderson, soft Oscar that's giving up too much hard contact. He is giving up about a home run every five-ish innings, so his home runs per nine rate is hovering right around a 1.9. That is not necessarily too terrific. 17 strikeouts in 29 innings, 138 whip. It's done a good job of not being able to walk, guys, but with the Washington Nationals, they do a good job of being able to create our contact, and when you take a look at John Lester himself, 18 strikeouts in 25 in a third inning, so I do think that we're going to see plenty of hits in this game. I want to say this total at 8.6. I think that the 9.5 is just a little bit too high in this spot, so I'm going to be dipping under. I just don't have a lot of faith in the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm going to wind up playing it with the Washington Nationals as a result as well. 907-908 on the betting board. The Atlanta Braves have thrown a face-off against the New York Metropolitans. Taiwan Walker is going to be going for the Mets. Ian Anderson is on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. Braves are finding themselves anywhere between minus 136 and minus 145 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the plus price here with the Metropolitans, that's anywhere between plus 123 and plus 132, and your total on this game is 6.5 with you over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. For Walker, he's going to be coming off of being on the injured list for a little bit. He didn't wind up having necessarily too long of a stint, but still, that's only pitched 44 innings so far this year. One home run surrendered. This is going to be his first start since the 17th of May in which he wound up facing off against the Atlanta Braves. Wound up having to leave after a little bit of an injury scare. Three scoreless innings in that one, so he's been able to do a good job. And you take a look at Taiwan Walker at home so far this year. He has been flat out awesome. 148 ERA. Four starts. He has given out 11 walks to 21 and a third innings, but no home runs issued. Opponents hitting a buck 73 off of him. With the Atlanta Braves, this is a team that they have been very up and down to say the least with their offense. They seem to be finding it right now. Got a pair of guys at the top with north of a 365 on base. Ronald Acuna Jr., Freddie Freeman. Freeman has been able to supply 12 bombs. Only hitting about a 242, but Acuna Jr., 280 batting average, 15 home runs. He has been great. Austin Riley sitting above a 300. He has been able to do some nice things for his team. Guillermo Heredia with a 373 on base and a 290 batting average. He has been relatively solid as well. Ender Arte is giving you a little bit of something. William Contreras at the country spot. Not great, but not terrible. And then you take a look at the Mets. Some of these guys are in the lineup right now. It's just absolutely insane. Cameron Maben wound up entering into yesterday's double dip with an 0 for 21 batting average. That is just absolutely terrible, and he still doesn't have a hit so far this year. Khalil Lee is hitting a 0.59. James McCann hitting a buck 97. We were talking about this a little bit earlier with our good buddy Jake Asman. Francisco Lindor is hitting a buck 85. One guy that wound up getting in a bat in game two of that double hitter has a batting average above a 231. That's Dom Smith. I mean, man. It is not going well for the Mets, but the bullpen pieces have been relatively solid for this team. Miguel Castro, Jersey's familiar, wound up getting used yesterday. Aaron Loop, Trevor May, all these guys have been able to do a solid job, and for the Atlanta Braves, they currently have a bottom 10 bullpen. They have not gotten necessarily what they expected out of someone like a Grant Dayton. You're looking at Jay Flaw trying to give this team a couple innings. A.J. Minter, Tyler Mazek, these guys have been relatively solid. Sean Newcomb has an ERA that's hovering right around a 6, though, so you've got some guys that have been very up and down. I do think that the Atlanta Braves should be the favorite in the spot. Ian Anderson has been pretty solid in his own right, especially with not giving up overly many long balls. 
throughout his career. You take a look at him so far this year. He's given up four home runs at 51 innings. 21 walks is a little bit concerning, but still that's right around three and a half walks per nine innings. Has good swing and miss stuff, but I do think that Taiwan Walker going to be able to keep the ball in the yard, keep this Mets team in the game, set this total at 7.8, so I'm going to be digging the over, and I needed at least a plus 132 to take a shot here on the Metropolitans. We have gotten there in a couple spots, so we're going to be digging the Mets along with this total over. 909-910 on the betting board. The Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be playing us the St. Louis Cardinals. You don't miss with the Johan Oviedo is going to be going for the Cardinals. Mad Bum, Madison Bumgarner is on the bump for Arizona. Arizona is finding themselves anywhere between minus 108 and minus 110 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cardinals, anywhere between minus 102 and plus 101 is what you're finding here. Toronto's game is 9. Over and under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Bumgarner, after a really rough start to the year, has been able to pick it up a little bit, so I do give him some credit. Things are starting to be a little bit more up and down, much like they were last season, but still, by and large, after a terrible start to the year, he's been able to put something together. Not walking a lot of guys. A little bit over two walks per nine innings, so that is something that you do like to see. You wind up having a rough start in Coors against the Colorado Rockies, but a lot of guys wind up having rough starts in Coors against the Colorado Rockies. You take a look at him at home so far this year. 378 ERA. He's given up one home run in 16 and two-thirds innings, and opponents are hitting 240 off of him. Meanwhile, you take a look at Oviedo. He has made a trio of starts, giving up about a home run per start, so that's not necessarily too terrific. His walks per nine rate, it's a little bit higher than what you'd like to see. It's a little bit over five, but the Cardinals certainly do have the bullpen advantage in this one. You've got guys like Junior Fernandez that are able to come in in long relief. Giovanni Gallegos has been relatively rock solid. Gotta love to have been able to get out of Alex Reyes. I believe that he's 14 out of 14 in save opportunities. 36 strikeouts in 26 innings, south of a 1 ERA. Ryan Aisley has been relatively solid and for the years in the Diamondbacks. Over the last 30 days, worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Taylor Clark has actually given you some solid innings, but Stefan Kiktran, Kevin Ginkle, Riley Smith, Joaquin Soria. These are just not good guys. And then when you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks, they are getting back some of their key offensive pieces. You've got the Marte Parte of Quitel Marte, along with... Carson Kelly, who have both come back for the team in recent days, is certainly going to be helpful for them moving forward. Eduardo Escobar only getting a 2.30, but been able to give the team 12 home runs. He was the only guy in the starting lineup yesterday, though, with north of 5 home runs. The other guy is Mr. Rojas, who's hitting at 300. Josh Rojas has been able to do a solid job for the team. David Peralta is giving you a little bit of something along Pavin Smith. Both of these guys hitting between a 265 and a 270, but then you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. Good table setters at the front. Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, Nolan Arenado, Yadier Molina. Only between a 275 and a 290. You now have back a little bit of an injured left fielder in Tyler O'Neill. He wound up being able to come back for the team yesterday. You've been able to get something out of Umando Sosa, who's hitting well above a 300 for the team as well. Paul Goldschmidt has not necessarily been himself, but I do like what you're getting out of the St. Louis Cardinals lineup. I do think that they're going to be able to get a little bit of something out of Oviedo, but I do think that the starting pitching is just way too much in favor of the Arizona Diamondbacks in this one. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a higher scoring game. I set this all at 9.2, so I'm going to be taking it over, but willing to lay up to about a minus 120 here with the Diamondbacks, so we're going to trust a mad bum, and we're going to be laying it here with Arizona. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. The San Francisco Giants with the road face off against the LA Dodgers. Anthony DiScalfani is going to be going for the Giants. Walker Bueller is on the bump for the Dodgers. Dodgers are finding themselves in sizable favorites. Anywhere between minus 180 and minus 190. If you're taking a look at the Giants, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 155 and plus 175 with a total on this game of 7.5. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Overs anywhere between even a minus 110. DiScalfani had been having a really good year until he wanted facing off against the LA Dodgers about a week or so ago in that Sunday start against the Dodgers. Gives up 10 runs at two and two-thirds innings. He has given up a combined 12 runs 
and a little bit over 53 innings if you wind up taking that out of the fold. So this is someone that has actually been able to do a relatively solid job, giving up just under a home run per nine innings. Not necessarily the world's greatest swing and miss guy, more around eight punch outs per nine innings. And then you take a look at Walker Buehler. He had not given up a home run at home since the 2019 season prior to a couple starts ago. He has been giving up a lot of hard contact at home so far this year. He actually has a higher ERA at Dodger Stadium than he does on the road, has given up five home runs and five starts. So that is a little bit concerning. Now, opponents are only a buck 85 off of them, so it seems like it's a little bit all or nothing with regards to the hard contact that is being given up, but then when you take a look at the San Francisco Giants, Buster Posey has been absolutely amazing for the team, hitting well above a 350, and then you take a look at the rest of the San Francisco Giants lineup, got a couple guys that are contributing for you, Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria, Donovan Solano, only between a 255 and a 269, and if you're taking a look at Crawford, 11 home runs, so he's been able to do the job there, Mikey Strzemski, Austin Slater, a pair of guys with six home runs, along with Evan Longoria, but for Slater and Yusramski, both hitting below a 225. You've had Kirk Casale giving the team a little bit of backup catching duties he wound up doing so yesterday. Just as I've been able to really get things out of neutral for the Dodgers, this is a team that they're doing a great job with regards to their pitching. They're in the top two with regards to team ERA. They've done a great job when it comes to being able to get men on base, as they actually have stranded the most men on base of any team out there in baseball, but yet they're still towards the top of every offensive category. Max Muncy with north of a 450 on base 10 home runs. He has been absolutely terrific for the team. Chris Taylor's hitting at 280. Matt Beattie, whenever he's out there, he has been solid now. Guys like Sheldon, Noisy, and Mr. Peters out there in the outfield. DJ Peters, these guys are in below the Mendoza line 200, but Will Smith, Mookie Betts, these guys are in right around at 252, 260. I like what they're bringing to the table. For the Dodgers, they wind up having to trot out there. Couple bullpen pieces yesterday. It was the first start for David Price in a while, and this is a little bit of a gutted bullpen, but Victor Gonzalez has been able to give you a little bit of something. Kenley Jansen, a 131 ERA. He chokes in the biggest spots, but when you don't necessarily put him in the biggest spots or under the greatest lights, he actually does some good things for you, so you've got that going on. Alex Vecilla is someone that I don't necessarily trust in him for the San Francisco Giants. Caleb Barger has actually been very good on the bullpen. Jose Alvarez can be a little bit intermiss. He comes over from the Philadelphia Phillies, so you know what to expect there, but Zach Liddell, Jake McGee, Tyler Rogers, these guys will be able to do the job, even a guy like a Sam Selman. It's someone that I do have a little bit of faith in. Dodgers should be a favorite here. No fans or butts about it. They go into yesterday winners of 12 out of their last 14, but this Giants team, they're trying to prove that this is no fluke, and I do think that Dee Scalfani is going to be able to bounce back after he wound up having a really rough start against the Dodgers about a week or so ago, so I'm going to wind up taking the plus price here with the Dodgers. I needed pretty much a plus 160 to be able to have that as a take, and I want to make this total 8, so we're going to be going with the over along with the Dodgers. We move on to 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board. You've got the Toronto, a.k.a. Dunedin, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays, and they're on face-off against the Cleveland Indians. Eli Morgan is going to be going for the Indians. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Toronto Blue Jays, you've got Hunjin Ryu who's going to be going for them with the Blue Jays. You're going to be finding them as sizable favorites here. Anywhere between minus 155 and minus 162. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cleveland Indians, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 138 and plus 146. Your total on this game is 8. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even a minus 110. And for Eli Morgan, it is going to be his first career start. I actually like what I saw out of him in the minor league level. Less than a home run per nine innings in leagues that aren't necessarily like juice ball or anything like that, but it's not like they've got a completely dead ball either. 
does a good job of not walking a lot of guys. Always at a north of four strikeout to walk rate. He's got a solid fastball, not necessarily overpowering, but he is solid. Meanwhile, with Hunjin Ryu, he's a little bit of the Major League version of Eli Morgan. He's a guy that he's not going to put you on cheaply. With Hunjin Ryu so far this year, has done a tremendous job with command. 53 and a third innings at six walks. That's about a walk per nine innings. And you've also got about a home run per nine with him as well. 4-2 record, 253 RA. He has been rock solid. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, this is a team in which they've got a bullpen that is still in the top 10 with regards to ERA. It has been faltering a little bit recently, but you still have quite a few guys they do trust in. Joel Payampas, Tim Mazza, along Jordan Romano, who wound up getting used up yesterday. These guys have been relatively solid. AJ Cole is able to give you some good innings as well. Tyler Chatwood is a guy that I don't necessarily trust in. And for the Cleveland Indians, they've got one of the best bullpens that you're going to find out there in the major leagues as well. Nick Wickren has had a little bit of a rough go of it so far this year, but you take a look at Emmanuel Clace, James Karinczak, who wound up pitching yesterday. These guys have been very good for this team. You've even had Nick Sandlin give you multiple innings in a lot of spots. And for the Cleveland Indians, you've got a middle of the lineup that is starting to do a little bit of a better job of being able to get on base. Josh Taylor, Jose Ramirez, Harold Ramirez, all these guys hitting between a 250 and a 265. And for Jose Ramirez, he's got a double-digit amount of home runs. Not having Frame Reyes in the fold, it's certainly hurting this team. And you've got a couple guys that they just need to pick it up. Yu Chang, Owen Miller, along with someone like an Austin Hedges. list goes on and on of guys hitting a 200 or lower for this team, but you do have great pitching. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Blue Jays. This is a team that they've got a very powerful lineup. To Oscar Hernandez, Vlad Guerrero Jr. pair of guys hitting well above a 300 and for Vlad Guerrero Jr. How about just the power numbers in general? He entered into yesterday's double dip with 16 home runs and has been able to do a tremendous job with that regard. Boba Shep, Marcus Simeon, pair of guys that have been able to give you a double-digit amount of home runs. Both of these guys hitting at least a 270. Randall Gritchick is hitting a 275. So I really do like what you're getting out of this Toronto Blue Jays lineup. I do think that you're going to be able to get a relatively solid start here out of Morgan. I need at least a plus 150 to take a shot here on the Cleveland Indians. Right now we're falling just short of that. I need right around a minus 150 to take a shot on the Toronto Blue Jays, and we're not seeing that either. So we wind up going to the run line here. And right now what you're seeing on the run line is the Blue Jays being in the neighborhood of about a plus 105-ish, and pretty much any plus price was going to do it for me here. So I'm going to wind up taking the Toronto Blue Jays in this spot on the run line, be able to reduce the juice. And in this spot as well, I wind up taking the total 8.5, so we're going to be going over there. Game 9, 15, 9, 16 on the betting board. You've got the New York Yankees hitting the road to face off against the Detroit Tigers. Casey Mize is going to be going for the Tigres. Meanwhile, Garrett Cole is on the bump for the Yankees. Yankees, sizable favorites, I believe, the biggest ones on the board today, as you're finding them anywhere between minus 230 and minus 240. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Tigres, anywhere between plus 199 and plus 210. Your total on this game is 7. Over is anywhere between minus 105 minus 125. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 115. So, you've got quite a range there, and this is a spot in which I want to make the Yankees a very sizable favorite. Casey Mize has actually had a relatively solid season. South of a 4 ERA, he's been able to limit a little bit of hard contact, but if you take a look at the fielding independent in comparison to the ERA among qualifying pitchers, he's got one of the biggest differentials between fielding independent and ERA. His fielding independent is north of a 5, and I do think that regression is going to set in with the New York Yankees. They certainly have been a little bit of a hit or miss offense so far this year. It looks like Luke Voigt, who wanted just coming back for this team, is injured once again, but you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Aaron Judge. I like what he's able 
able to bring to the table. Right around a 300 batting average, double-digit amount of home runs. DJ LeMayu, Labor Torres, pair of guys sitting in that neighborhood of a 265 with a 350 on base. Now, we were talking about this with Jake Asman. The bottom of the lineup really needs to come through. Miguel Anduar actually had himself a nice double dip, but Kyle Agashioka, Gary Sanchez, Clint Frazier. These guys have just not necessarily been too terrific for this team. Runette Odor is terrible. Estevan Florel is someone that they're kicking the tires on as well, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. Gio Urshela has been relatively soft for the team, and we were talking about it with Jake as well. The fact that this bullpen has been absolutely tremendous. Whenever you've needed Aroldis Chapman for a save, he has been able to do it for you. I really like what you've been able to get out of Chad Green as well. And then you even take a look at someone like Awani Peralta. He's come in. He's been able to do a relatively decent job. He's had a couple rough outings recently, but I think that he's going to be able to pick it up. Michael King has been good as a long guy. And then for the Tigers, worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. It has been absolutely terrible. When you got a guy in mice that registers a little bit over three walks per nine innings, that's a little bit of an issue. And for the Detroit Tigers, you take a look at this lineup. No real power whatsoever. Wilson Ramos right now leads the team with six home runs. He's been stuck on six home runs for literally over 30 days. So, that tells you where they're at there. Harold Castro hitting a 333 for this team. That's nice, and Castro, along with Robbie Grossman, both have a 370 on base. Jameer Candelario sitting about a 275, so he has been relatively solid. And Keel Badu, along with Nico Goodrum, both are right around a 320 to a 325 on base, but both of these guys hitting below a 240. Victor Reyes, Willie... Castro, list goes on and on of guys not necessarily getting the job done for this team. And for Garrett Cole, how about 92 punch outs in 64 and two thirds innings, a 181 ERA. Give it up about .8 home runs per nine innings. He has given up on a walks per nine rate right around 1.2. He has been absolutely masterful for the Yankees. I think that this is a big time hammer spot here on the Yankees. I certainly don't want to be laying the money line, so you wind up taking a look at the run line. Seeing this right around a minus 130 to a minus 135 I'm going to wind up taking the Yankees on the run line. I think that they should be able to win this game by multiple runs. I think that the Yankees are going to be doing a lot of the damage all by themselves in this one. Set this out a little bit north of 8, so we're going to be taking the over along the Yankees' run line. 9-17, on the bang board. The Kansas City Royals at the road face off against the Minnesota Twins. Randy Dubnik is going to be going for the Twinkies. Chris with a K, Boobich is on the bump for the Royals. Royals are finding themselves as underdogs here. Anywhere between plus 124 and plus 135. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Minnesota Twins, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 143 and minus 155. Total on this game is 8.5. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and you're also seeing a little bit of even money and as bad as minus 115. Meanwhile, for the over, seeing as bad as minus 120, as good as a minus 105. Also not seeing as good as a plus 137 here on the Kansas City Royals and for Chris with the K Boobich, he has actually been relatively solid. I was willing to take anything above a plus 122 with him because he has been a little bit of a mix between a long reliever and a starter. He's gotten a couple starts recently. He's looked really good. In his two starts, I do recognize that they were against the Brewers and the Detroit Tigers. A combined 11 innings giving up two runs. Now, he did wind up having five walks and just seven strikeouts in that time, but he's doing a great job of just being able to locate in the zone. Has yet to give up a home run so far this year. I like his overall game. And then when you take a look at Randy Dobnik, He's actually been significantly better in the role of starter rather than as a reliever. As a reliever, he was just absolutely terrible. You take a look at what he wound up doing last season. He was actually relatively decent when he wound up getting starts as well. So I just think that this is a situation in which he just feels better as a starter. In 22 at-bats against batters as a starter, he's given up three hits. Meanwhile, as a reliever, opponents wound up bidding right around at 333 off of him. He has yet to give up a home run as a starter. Gave up four coming out of the bullpen. So he's 
just much more comfortable in this role in general. And then when you take a look at the Kansas City Royals, certainly the offense has not necessarily been able to give you too much as they've got three runs or fewer in each other last four games. Good news is the Minnesota Twins bullpen is not necessarily good. Cody Sashik, Alex Colomay, these guys have not necessarily been able to step up. Ansel Robles along Taylor Rogers, they're relatively solid. But you take a look at the Royals, reinforcements are on the way. You've now got back in the fold Adalberto Mondesi, Calvin Gutierrez, both of these guys hitting above a 270 for this bunch. Andrew Benintendi, Salvador Perez in between a 274 and a 285 with Perez. He's been able to do a good job of leaving the yard. Nine home runs for this team with Merrifield. Expect a little bit more than a 250 out of him along with Carlos Santana, but with Santana, 380 on base, so he's been able to give you a little bit of something. Michael A. Taylor is hitting right around a 245 as well, but who you really need to get going, Ode Soler. Four home runs so far this year and a buck 71 batting average. Keep in mind, during the 2019 season, 48 home runs, so that has not been good. And for the Royals' bullpen, it's a bunch that wound up getting off to a very good start to the year. Scott Barlow, Jake Brents have both been very solid for you, but you take a look at some of these guys like a Josh Staymount. He still has been relatively solid, but he's had his issues. Wade Davis, fortunately, got used up yesterday because he wanted no part of him. Greg Collin, he is a little bit anxious. And then you take a look at the Minnesota Twins lineup. This is a team that they are quite banged up, but Nelson Cruz has been able to return for this team. That is absolutely massive. Byron Buxton being out of the fold certainly does hurt. And now you've got Ore Palanco back, but he's hitting a 226. You've got Adrolton Simmons with a 326 on base, but he's only hitting a 240. Rob Rav Snyder has actually been very good for the team, hitting a 400, and then you got guys like Trevor Larnich, who they're giving some at-bats to. He's able to draw walks, but it's been a little bit tough for him. Now, I will say Miguel Sano, eight home runs over the team's last 14 games. That has been very solid for the team, but I actually think that Chris with the K Boobich is actually going to be able to give you a relatively solid start, and if I were to pick a bullpen, I'd probably be going with the Royals bullpen in this one, so I'm going to wind up taking the plus price here with the Kansas City Royals, and in this spot, I wound up setting this total at 8.4. I think we've gotten up a little bit too high with the 8.5, so we're going to be going under along with the Royals. 919-920 on the bank board. The Baltimore Orioles hit the road face off against the Chicago White Sox. Dallas Keuchel is going to be going for the Sox. Matt Harvey is on the bump for the Baltimore Orioles. The White Sox are a sizable favorite, and rightfully so. I'm seeing as good as a minus 209, as bad as minus 225. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Orioles, you're getting anywhere between a plus 185 and a plus $2. Your tallest game is ranged between 8.5 and, and 9 on the 8.5. Or is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 105 on the 9. You're finding that over anywhere between even and minus 110. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. And I just think that the Baltimore Orioles and Matt RV in general is going to get completely lit up. Harvey was able to give you a little bit of something for a few starts. The wheels have just fallen off for him. It's really sad to see him still try to give you some headings. I mean, it's just really, really bad that the Orioles have not given one of their young guys starts as well. 3-5 and five record by a 631 ERA. He's given up right around 1.2-ish home runs per nine innings. The swing and miss stuff is down 158 whip. It has just really went sour from recently. He has given up at least six runs in each out of his last three starts, at least four runs in each out of his last four. I mean, my goodness. And he's gotten four strikeouts or fewer in four out of his last five starts. The Dark Knight has fallen. Meanwhile, for Dallas Keuchel, swing and miss stuff is not there for him. He's getting right around four and a half strikeouts per nine innings, but he's done a good job of being able to hold down the fort. Has done a nice job of being able to keep the ball in the yard, right around .8 home runs per nine innings. You take a look at what he's been able to do recently. Three runs or fewer given up in three out of his last four starts, so he has given up a little bit of contact himself, but he's backed up by a bullpen for the White Sox that has improved throughout the season. You wound up having a couple guys like an Evan Marshall wind 
wind up having a little bit of a tough start to the year, Matt Foster as well, but now these guys are starting to rein it in a little bit more. I do like what you're able to get out of the big offseason acquisition in Liam Hendricks. Cody Hewer has been able to give you something. Jose Ruiz has been a little bit up and down, but he got some relatively solid pieces. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, I will say Tanner Scott, Cole Solzer, these guys have been relatively solid out there at the bullpen along with Adam Pruko as a long guy, but you take a look at this Baltimore Orioles lineup. You've got Cedric Mullins and Long Trey Boom Boom Mancini. These guys have been solid along with Stevie Wilkerson. Small sample size for Wilkerson, but he's hitting above a 300 long with Mullins with Boom Boom Mancini, double digit amount of home runs, 350 on base, 280 batting average. Anthony Santander has been able to in the neighborhood of a 250 along with Freddie Galvis, but then from there, you have a massive fall off. Mikel Franco, Pat Vileka, DJ Stewart, Francisco, Ryan McKenna, all guys hitting at 215 or lower. Meanwhile, for the White Sox, he has Mighty Grandal at nearly 400 on base, and he's got a buck 46 batting average. I don't think I've ever seen that before in my life. Jose Abadeo has been able to do a solid job, 255 batting average after he got off to a rough start to the year. Now, Daniel Mendick, Billy Hamilton, Lourdes Garcia, Andrew Vaughn, all guys hitting below at 235, but Yerman Mercedes has been able to hit a 335 with a 384 on base. You want Moncada as above a 400 on base. So I do think that the White Sox are certainly going to be able to get to our good buddy Matt Harvey. With the White Sox, they actually have not necessarily had a bunch of home runs. They've just done a good job of being able to pile up runs in general. And what Harvey is doing, he's giving up a whole bunch of contacts. So we're going to be taking a look at a run line in this spot. If you're looking to lay the run in half with the Chicago White Sox, seeing that as low as a minus 110, yeah, that is certainly a take for me. I think that that's tremendous value, and I set this all at 9.7. So White Sox run line and the over the play here. 921, 922 on the betting board. You got the LA Angels hitting the road to face off against the Oakland Athletics. Shamanea is going to be going for the A's. Shohei Otani is going to be going for the Angels. It was supposed to be Alex Cobb, so I believe that these are numbers for Cobb versus Manea. We're seeing the Oakland A's anywhere between a minus 145 and minus 150 favorite. Meanwhile, with the Angels, you're finding them anywhere between a plus 130 and a plus 139 with your total on this game at 8. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 110. Once again, I'm pretty sure that these are numbers with Alex Cobb out there because just before I came on this podcast, the switch was made to Shohei Otani. They wanted pushing his start back a little bit, so that is explaining why you're going some tremendous value here with the Angels. And I can tell you right now, in Otani versus Manea, I wind up making Manea more around a minus 128 favorite. I've got this total set at 9, so I think regardless, we're going to be seeing it over in this spot for me. Bo Shoei Otani, he's actually been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. 0.9 home runs, give it up per 9 innings. And I will say, 7 walks per 9 innings, that's a little bit too high, but he's done a good job of being able to limit contact in general right around 5 hits per 9 innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at Manea, he's been able to do a terrific job of not giving out walks right around 2 walks per nine innings. You take a look at the A's in general. They've been able to do a tremendous job in his start so far this year. I believe that they are like 7-3 and three in his sense start, so he has been able to hold it down there. He's been a little bit better at home rather than on the road, which is interesting because with the A's entering into the series, had right around a 4.8 home ERA as compared to a road ERA that was hovering more around a 3-6, so he's actually a little bit of the opposite of what we've seen out of the team so far this year. Opponents at home are hitting a 255 off of him, and for the Angels, really the offense is not the issue for this team. They've been able to do a solid job even with Mike Trout out of the fold. Anthony Rendon needs to pick up on his 223 batting average and you got a couple guys like Drew Butera, Taylor Ward, Jose Rojas, along with Justin Upton, that need to pick up their batting averages of 230 or lower, though I will say for Upton, he has been able to give the team 10 home runs and 142 at bat, so he's been able to do a solid job there with Otani. 15 home runs so far this season, so you do like what you're seeing there, but with the Angels' bullpen, it is absolutely terrible. They've got the worst ERA overall in the big leagues. The starters' ERA is the worst out there in the big leagues. Shohei Otani is your only starter right now for the Angels with an ERA that is south of a 475, so 
got that going on. And then out there in the bullpen, you've got guys like Aaron Slagers, Hunter Strickland, Tony Watson. All these guys are just not getting the job done. Meanwhile, for the Oakland A's, you'd want to be avoiding some Mergio Romo. He has not been good for the team, but you've got Yasmero Batit, who has been highly reliable for the team. Bird Smith, a little bit up and down, but he's got barely a three-ish ERA. Lutrovino has been able to do a relatively solid job as well. And then with the Oakland A's, this is a bunch that they've got a trio of guys with a double-digit amount of home runs. Mark Canna, along with Ron Laureano, Matt Olson. All these guys have good on bases. All in the pocket between a 255 and a 265 entering into yesterday. Jed Lowry has done a good job of being reach base after Ewan is spending a little bit of time outside of baseball. Matt Chapman only getting right around a 200, but he's done a good job of being able to get on base as well. Like I said, with the current numbers, I'd be taking a look at the Angels, but I have a feeling that we're going to see an adjustment with Shoya Otani getting his start pushed back. Wound up setting the Angels more on a plus 128 with Shoya Otani on the mound. Set this total at 9 as well. 923-924 on the main board. The Walker Texas Rangers hit the red face off against the Seattle Mariners. Justice Sheffield is going to be going for the M's. Jordan Lyles gets the ball for the Rangers as you're finding the Rangers as a slight underdog in this spot. Anywhere between plus 105 and I'm seeing as good as a plus 107. See a minus 105 out there as well. You want to be avoiding that on the Rangers. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the M's, you're going to be finding anywhere between a minus 114 and a minus 125. Your total is anywhere between an 8.5 and a 9. On the 8.5, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 105. On the 9, under is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. Over is anywhere between even and plus 105. And with Justice Sheffield, I feel like he should be more around a minus 138 favorite with Jordan Lyles. He has been able to give a couple decent starts recently, but it's hard to have a lot of faith in him in general. He's got a 2-3 and three record, but he has given up on a per 9 innings basis two home runs, so that has not necessarily been too terrific for him. You take a look at what he's been able to do recently. He has been able to rein it in, giving up three runs or fewer, and now three out of his last four starts, but and still, it's a situation in which you're going to be getting quite a few walks out of him as well. You take a look at what he's done on the road so far this year, 433 ERA. Opponents are only a 233 off of him, but he has still given up four home runs over the course of 27 innings. So, a little bit tough there. Meanwhile, for Justice Sheffield, he's given up a little bit over a home run per nine innings. Walks have been a little bit of a bugaboo. Right around 3.8-ish walks per nine innings, which has led to a 5-1-1 ERA. But you take a look at Sheffield throughout his career. He's done a good job of being able to limit our contact. Has been much better at home than he has been on the road. On the road, 0-3, 675 ERA at home, 357 ERA, 3-1 record, giving up just two home runs in 22 and two-thirds innings, and opponents are getting 221 off of them, and with the Texas Rangers, it's been a very sporadic offense, to say the least, so far this season. Adolius Garcia enters into yesterday with 16 home runs, and you got a trio of guys that entered into yesterday with eight home runs. Joey Gallo, Nick Solak, Nate Lowe, with Lowe along Nick Solak, Willie Callum, all these guys hitting between a 250 and a 265 throw in there. Jose Trevino, the catcher as well. Brock Holt has been able to do a good job of being able to reach base, and for Joey Gallo, he can two-time, but he's been able to reach base as well. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Seattle Mariners. You've got a very top-heavy lineup. Bitch Anniger, 13 home runs, 262 batting average. He's been solid. You've got Ty France, Kyle Seager, Kyle Lewis. All in between a 230 and a 243, you've been able to get a little bit of something out of J.P. Crawford, who's been in and out of the fold as well, but Tom Murphy, Jacob Nottingham, Jack Mayfield, Jared Kelnick, Evan White, Ode Mamaloes. All these guys are in a 200 or lower for this team, so that's been an issue. Now, the Seattle Mariners have actually had a relatively solid bullpen, but it is getting taxed more and more and more. you got Kendall Graveman, Will Vest currently on the injured list. Paul Seawald has been solid for this team, but Rafael Montero currently has right around a 5-ish ERA. You just expect a little bit more out of him. GG Chargo has been solid, and then for the Texas Rangers, this is a bullpen that is not good in their own right. You've got Demarcus Evans now getting innings for this team. Julie Rodriguez has been far from terrific. Brett Geis has an ERA that's right around an 8 
Ian Kennedy, John King, these guys have been reliable, but by and large, I just don't have a lot of faith in this Texas Rangers team, and I do think that you're going to see Justice Sheffield be able to keep the ball in the yard. Well, I'm saying this total as a result at an 8.3, so we're going to be taking it under, and I'm going to be landing here with the Seattle Mariners. 925-926 on the bank board. The Miami Marlins hit the road face off against the Boston Red Sox. Marty Perez is going to be going for the Sox. Cody Petit is going to be going for the Marlins. Marlins are finding themselves anywhere between plus 140 and plus 150 underdogs. Seeing straight plus 138 out there as well. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Sox, anywhere between minus 149 and minus 162 is what you're laying here. With the total, it is 9. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 115 with Petit. He's actually been able to take it and run with the opportunities that he's gotten. A sub-2 ERA. I will say, very small sample size. I didn't necessarily love what I saw from him when he was at the minor league level as well, so I do think that he's doing for quite a bit of regression. 17 innings has given up two walks, one home run, and a buck 06 ERA. There's just no way he's going to be able to sustain this. Meanwhile, with Martin Perez, he does a good job of being able to limit the long ball. Right around a half a home run per nine innings, 355 ERA, not going to overpower you, but still right around 8.8 strikeouts per nine innings. He's given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts. He has been highly reliable, and he's been able to limit the walks. Two or fewer in four out of his last five starts. He's back to buy a bullpen of the Red Sox set. I do think he's going to see a little bit of regression. Darwinson Hernandez, Adam Adovino, someone like a Garrett Whitlock, Phillips Valdez, they aren't necessarily guys they necessarily trust in Matt Andrees. Winds up giving up a home run against the Atlanta Braves that a lot of Boston Red Sox fans were not necessarily happy about. And then the Miami Marlins have been able to do a very good job with their bullpen. You take a look at guys like Dylan Floro, Lung, Vimy Garcia, the pair of former LA Dodgers. These guys have come in. They've certainly been able to do their part. You take a look at even someone that has been able to give you a little bit more length in Jordan Hallway. I believe that he's currently not with the team, but he has been relatively solid in these sorts of situations. Zach Pop has been able to come in. He's been solid. Adam Simber, John Curtis with two S's. Both of these guys have been pretty reliable. Both of these guys have ERAs that are hovering between a 3-1 and a 3-7. Anthony Bass has been able to take a line and sinker for some relatively decent innings as well. So I do like what you're getting there. Meanwhile, the Miami Marlins, you are needing to get a little bit more out of the offense, and you're starting to get that. Jesus Aguiar, Miguel Ross, Corey Dickerson, Garrett Cooper, all guys hitting between a 260 and a 275 with Cooper. His power numbers have been able to pick up recently. Now, the catcher spot has been a hot mess. Jorge Alfaro has been on the injured list for quite a bit of the year. Sandy Leon hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. John Birdie is on Diaz. I've not necessarily been able to do a lot for you. And then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. Just a complete and utter juggernaut when it comes to their offense. You've got J.D. Martinez who's hitting well above a 300 double digit amount of home runs. They're on there. Xander Bogarts hitting at 340 with a 400 on base. Rafael Devers, 280 batting average. 14 home runs. It doesn't matter whether they're facing lefties or righties. Homer road. This is a team that has been absolutely superb. Now, you need to get a little bit more out of Bobby Dahlbeck. You get the Mendoza line of 200, but Christian Arroyo, Christian Vasquez, both of these guys hitting between a 250 and 260 along Kike Hernandez are good. Alex Verdugo hitting a 295. I think that the Boston Red Sox are going to do a good job of being able to support a guy, Martin Perez, who has been relatively solid for this team. I'd be willing to lay a little bit of a price on the run line with the Boston Red Sox as, as I'm seeing right now. They're anywhere between a plus 117 and a plus 125. So, going to lay the run in half here with the Red Sox. Take that plus price with the total. Set it at 8.6. I do think that the Red Sox are going to do a good job against a Miami team that is in the bottom 10 in pretty much every offensive category. So taking the under, and we're going to be taking the Boston Red Sox run line, and wrap things up with my New York Post of the day, 927-928 on the bank board. The Houston Astros hit the road to face off against the San Diego Padres. Denelson Lament is going to be going for the Padres. Framber Valdez is on the bump for the Astros. Relative pick game here. If you're looking at the Astros, you're going to be finding them 
as good as a minus 103. You're going to be finding them as bad as a minus 110. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Padres, laying as much as a minus 112, as little as a minus 104, and your total on this game is 8.5. The over and under are anywhere between even and minus 120, so we've got a range there. And we're seeing an 8 out there as well. The over is just a minus 115. The under is minus 105. And for Valdez, first start of the year, he wound up pitching a grand total of 7 relief innings. Looked very solid in those 7 innings, but still, I question how much length you're going to be able to get out of him with the Houston Astros. Below average bullpen. It seems like Inoli Paredes is someone that has been just not necessarily himself since coming off the injured list. And as a result, Ryan Presley and Brooks Raley, who it seems like pitch in every single game, have had to eat up quite a few innings. Brian Abreu has come out of the bullpen. He's been okay for this team. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Kent Emanuel in long relief, and I think that they might need to call upon him once again. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Padres. They've used their bullpen for the most innings out there in Major League Baseball, but they've got the best bullpen ERA of any team out there in Major League Baseball as well, and I should say most innings of the National League because you've got the Tampa Bay Rays out there, but you take a look at these guys. Pierce Johnson should be able to come back after he only threw five pitches yesterday. I really like what you've been able to get out of Tim Hill as well. If you need a little bit of length as well, the Padres have plenty of guys that are able to offer that for you as well. I do think that Craig Salmon could wind up giving you a couple innings in this spot. I know that they've used him quite a bit, but he has been absolutely tremendous for this team. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of Denelson Lamette. He was a top five Cy Young Award candidate last season. Has only went between two and three innings in all of his stints, but has been able to give the team in 11 total innings across five appearances. Zero home runs issued, four walks, buck 64 ERA with the Houston Astros. This is a team that they have scored at least four runs in 15 out of their last 17 games, but just once in their last three. So that is something that you want to be taking a look at with regards to the splits. Now you've got Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Michael Brantley, Jordan Alvarez, Yoli Gurriel, all hitting at least a 300 for the team. All these guys have at least a 350 on base. Kyle Tucker swinging a 233, but a double-digit amount of home runs, so he's certainly been able to do the job. Carlos Correa is starting to pick it up as well. Guys at the bottom of the lineup like Martin Maldonado along Taylor Jones. Not necessarily terrific, but then you take a look at the flip side for the Padres. Getting back for Nando Tatis Jr., absolutely tremendous for the Padres. He's got a double-digit amount of home runs. His batting average is back above a 300. Jake Cronenworth, 360 on base, 290 batting average. He's been able to do a solid job for this team now. Awesome Kim, Victor Carantini, Tommy Pham, all in below a 220. Five-ish is not necessarily terrific for the team. And then you got out there in the outfield, Brian O'Grady, who just has not necessarily given you quite a bit. Manny Machado currently on the injured list, but Eric Hosmer is back. He's been able to do a good job. The New York Post play of the day is going to be the Padres on the money line. There's a reason why this team has been lights out both home to road. And I would argue that a lot of their best performances have actually come on the road. I just don't trust in Framber Valdez being able to give you a lot of length. Going to be his first start of the year. This is a spot in which I typically like to fade guys, and I'm going to be doing it once again here. So we're going to be taking the Padres on the money line. That is the New York Post play today with the good Padres bullpen as well. Set this total 8.4, so I'm going to be dipping under as well. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this wonderful Friday. A big thanks to Jake Asman of SportsMap Radio for joining me in last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Internet. you got one of two ways to be able to find questions, if you have them for this podcast. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren Sporty. One, keep in mind the letters EM. They mean it does not matter. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Hopefully you are all doing well. Hopefully you are all enjoying this baseball season. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the season, which means I'm coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.